I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. This is part two of my conversation with comedian Pete Holmes. You know him from his HBO hit comedy series, Crashing, and his top-rated podcast. I got the chance to visit him last year as season two of Crashing was premiering to talk about his journey of faith and divorce. If you didn't hear part one, go listen to it. Here in part two, he gets real. We start talking about drugs, looking for spiritual encounters, and the second season of Crashing. Don't want to miss it. Here's part two of my conversation with Pete Holmes. Years ago, before your podcast, before Crashing, when I was just a fan of your comedy, the... uh, I heard that Pete Holmes at one point wanted to be a youth pastor. Mm. And I was like, what? And then I, I heard you tell the story somewhere that, you know, your mom pretty much says, well, they're kind of the same thing. Comedy so and close enough, yeah, yeah. everybody leaves happy and yeah, yeah. closer together. So. Right. You want to speak in front of people and make people feel less afraid. And that is true. Yeah. And I see a good amount of show business. Some Like if you go to a, a black Southern Baptist church, it's going to be, it's like in there will be blood he goes one of the show yeah and he means it as an insult yeah. but it's also you can just surrender to it and and i bet it'll get you there yeah you know what i mean it's like walking yeah. in memphis it's like are you a christian child and he goes ma'am i am tonight yeah you know what i mean it's just like if you can just surrender to the experience i bet you could get juice out of any beautiful well it's like going to latin mass you don't know what they're saying but why do you feel still you do it just kind of gets you sometimes if if it does for you but um So I became more interested in comedy and then got married. And I I think you kind of know the rest. It's what crashing is about. Yeah. And that's where the show picks up is that my wife leaves me. And that's what happened in reality. And I really, and that scene with my parents in episode five is, is very, it's all true. It's, it's me saying, mom, you told me in a Chili's in Burlington. That's true. There's a Chili's in Burlington by the mall. And we got a table and she just kind of, I hadn't even thought about marrying my wife, uh, my ex-wife. And she was like, I I think that's what you should do. Because I was like, I want to move to Chicago. I knew I wanted to move to Chicago to do comedy because that's where Chris Farley was, what he did. And I want to be on SNL and all that. So I'm going to go to Chicago. And I was like, I don't know what to do about my ex. And she was like, well, you should just get married. And I I called her that day. My mom was in the car. It's very gross looking back i'm 21 and was like i think i I didn't propose i was just like i I think we should get married and she's like okay i i there's some things i'd love to ask my ex and that's one of them is how do you remember i remember being in the parking lot of a caldor and calling you and and not asking just saying i think we should and you kind of agreed and next thing we knew we found a venue and then the venue had one date that was open and that was our wedding date and then we got married. And then the next day for our honeymoon, we took the lazy way driving to Chicago, staying at bed and breakfast. And then we got there on like a Sunday. And that Tuesday was my first improv class. And that's when I really felt the most alive was when I started improv class. Having just gotten married a, like a week or so ago, I, you know, I, I was crying. I felt incredibly filled with light and love. And it was the happiest day of my life on this plane. I've had I told Val this. We've both had better days um, on mushrooms or whatever. Like you just can't compete. <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> you can't. That that takes you to a, a whole other level of existence. Not better or worse, but on this plane, my wedding was was the happiest day of my life, without a doubt. And my first wedding wasn't like that, and mm. this is why my wife, I think, ultimately left me. It was very um, bureaucratic, almost. I'm supposed to get married because I can't live in Chicago with a girlfriend. Let's get married. And then once we were married, I was like, well, you're my wife now. I didn't take her. I didn't deliberately take her for granted. Yeah. But I did. I didn't know I was because I was very sweet and nice. Sure. And if you're being sweet and nice, what else do you want? My dad, I love my dad. He wasn't always sweet and nice. So I was like killing it as far as I was concerned. Mm. I was nice. I was around a lot. A lot of people hypothesized that my wife left me because of comedy. I wasn't doing anything that much. You know what I mean? I would I would go out and do open mics, but like it's not like I wasn't around. Right. Like I wasn't touring. And I 
<laughs> I remember running into this other couple. I was handing out flyers in the West Village. We'd moved to New York. And uh, they went to Gordon, too. What, was that as painful as it looked on the show? He, well, you know what's funny is yes and no. Because that seemed awful. I know. <laughs> Looking back, well, I think that's one of the main things I've learned in doing crashing is that I couldn't do what I did now. Right. Because there's a certain like tank of um, sweetness or moxie or something that I had. And it's kind of crazy looking back now that I really did have a certain degree of certainty, not cockiness, but certainty. That you would make it? That I would, I, I felt, I never, I didn't spend a lot of time going, what if I don't make it? Um, how, how many years was it from your like open mic starting in Chicago to you make a living at it? Like how many years was that? I was in Chicago for three years and that was straight open micing it and working at Bennigan's, which isn't there anymore. Um, right across from the Art, Art Institute. Yeah, I went been there. there. Yeah. yeah, it's a very popular Bennigan's. It was great. One of the most popular Bennigans. I go to Lollapalooza every year and I go to, I would go to that Bennigan's. That's crazy. That's, uh, that's wild. It's now a Walgreens. I know, so. uh, it is a bummer. So that was three years and then we moved to New York. So I was in my, and anybody listening or reading that it, it's not helpful to compare. <laughs> I just want to say, because this is is not typical. Um, but when I got to New York, one of the reasons I'm still very grateful to my ex is we got there and I was like, I'm just not going to have a job. I don't want to have something to fall back on. And um, so she got a job working as a teacher. We had a credit card that embarrassingly my parents paid. So sometimes we put groceries and stuff on that which really kept us afloat. It's a great Janine Garofalo joke where she's like, every story that says, I went to LA with $15 in my pocket and a credit card that went to my parents' house. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's such a privileged thing. And I'm really grateful for it. But when we went there, we weren't leaning on that too much. She was working. And then it was like, I want to say it was like I was in New York about four months. Could that be? And I met, um, Nick Kroll, who introduced me to Jesse Klein, and Jesse Klein, who's a voice on Big Mouth, and she was the head writer of Schumer. Um, she was an executive at Comedy Central at the time, and she was on a show called Best Week Ever. And I saw Nick Kroll at UCB. I could take you through every step because I love telling the story, but suffice it to say, Nick saw me have a good set at UCB in Chelsea. I said, Hey, you do that show on, I think it was Tuesdays? Best, Fifi. Oh, okay. Well, uh, not uh, best, not week best week ever. ever yeah, it's right. funny because it was actually called Welcome to Our Week. It might have been on Monday. Anyway, and I knew Jesse Klein was the co-host. So Nick and Jesse hosted the show. And I wasn't this Machiavellian or deliberate, but I did want Jesse to see me do stand-up because Jesse could help me get booked on Premium Blend, which was like the four-minute showcase yeah. show of the time. So... Nick saw me. He said, you're great. He didn't say you're great. He's Nick. He was just kind of like, yeah, maybe. I mean, here's my email. And uh, I still sometimes call him by his old email, which isn't his email anymore. But it, it's like this weird nickname. But anyway, um, he put me on the show. He wasn't there that night, but Jesse was. And it was a really light house. And I went up at Rafifi and Jesse stayed in the room, which is like a huge deal. Not because it was me, just because they were generous hosts. So she sat in the audience. I did my seven minutes. I got off stage. I said, thank you. I hung out a little bit. I left. And then the next day, I emailed her. I think I got her email from Nick. And um, just said, thanks so much for having me. This is one of those few times where like, my dad's advice worked. Because he was always like, just ask for things. Like, Go up to people, give them a firm handshake, and be direct. And that didn't always work, especially sure. in show business. But this is one of those times that like that advice of like, follow through, email and say, thank you. Yeah. Um, she wrote back, you were great. I think you'd be great for premium blend. That's what she wrote. And I was like, well, that worked. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, and then I wrote back, and this is chutzpah, but I said, that's incredible. I'd love to submit. I'll do that because she told me what to do. And then... I was like, I'd also love to submit for Best Week Ever. I saw you on that show. 
I love that show. And then I've told the story dozens of times, but Jesse did one of the more baller things you can do, which was she didn't reply to that email. The, like the next day, I got an email from Fred Graver, who was the executive producer of Best Week Ever, with Jesse on it, like CC'd on it, saying, Jesse says you're great. You should come in. And then I went into Best Week Ever. And then I was doing that show every week, yeah. every Friday or, or Wednesday. It came out Friday. I would tape it. And I was making $500 a week um, just sitting in a chair joking about the news and the events. And I was suddenly making more money than my wife, who was a public school teacher working her ass off, which is completely unfair. But it was also this insane, oh, shit. I'm now, this year on my W-2, I will write comedian. And it's because of these two things. And then I met an agent. Uh, Oh, I don't want to get his name wrong. I know it's Ari. I'm blanking on his last name. It doesn't matter. Uh, Ari saw me at this club in Caroline's, and he was a, a junior agent at the time. And he was like, you should come by the office one day. And then I went by the office. I, I happened to be in, in the neighborhood of his office anyway, and I had his business card. And I was like, I think I'm near that office. Who does this? Mm-hmm. I sound like an old man, you know, because it's like one of these stories of like, like I already said, Moxie. Like mm-hmm. I was in the neighborhood. I was like near 27th and Broadway. And I looked at his business card, which I still had in my wallet. I was like, I think I'm near Avi Gilbert, Avi Gilbert's office. I'm going to pop in. So I called him on some old Nokia cell phone. I was like, hey, it's Pete Holmes. We met the other night. I think I'm near your office. And he was like, hey, come on up. I go up. I say hi to Avi. He's like, do you want to meet Mike Berkowitz? Mike Berkowitz is like this huge name in comedy now. Um, and he was even then. Um, he's our booking agent. And as I was walking, this is true story. It's like Paul Bunyan stuff. As I walked into Mike Berkowitz's office, he's on the phone. And the first thing I hear this man say, who I still know all these years later, he goes, well, I don't know any other comedians who are on best week ever. And he hangs up the phone. That's what he said. It's crazy. It's It's like, this is my, I saw a UFO story. That's crazy. And the first thing I said to him was, I'm a comedian on Best Week Ever. 50 colleges later, I'm making, <laughs> you know, you're making about $1,000 a college. So you're making like, you know, a good living. Real money, yeah. Real money, like crazy to do comedy. 500 a week plus 50 colleges. And right around that time, that's when my wife left me, right when I really started like touring and getting really? off the ground. What the, One of the things that, you know, having grown up in the church and all the good and bad of that, um, carrying that and figuring that I was an adult. Right. And then going through a divorce as an adult, um, and blindsided by, she by it. Too? yeah. Yeah. How For, long ago was it? Um, maybe five years. Wow. Cause yeah. you still seem a little sad about it. I'm not, there's no, no judgment there, but I was like, no, I was no, actually, we have a son compliment you on your open heart that's what i meant by that oh it's like look at you no no no. we still kind of feeling the weight of it because it is well we have a son we have an Um, eight-year-old he just turned eight so and you it's 50 50 and how long were you together 13 years see that's a different story i mean yeah i'm not trying to compare i'm just saying i think what i perceived from you was the weight of what of what you're saying sure 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 i was in a thing for seven years including the time we dated. Sure, sure, sure. Seven. Yeah. I mean, Val and I have been together almost that long. It's not that long. <laughs> and, yeah. we're, and we're newlyweds. Yeah, yeah. So you have a son, yeah. 13 years. Well, I just, so so having gone through that uh, as, how old was I? 30, 36. I would, I would mm. have been 36 when, when it all happened. Um, when, when I'm watching Crashing, the thing that, I don't know, obviously it's a sitcom and it's half hours and there's only eight of them. So the trajectory of Pete, you know, going from wide-eyed Jesus lover to discovering that his life falls apart and his heart is broken to kind of like all of a sudden his faith bubble bursts mm-hmm. is like a trajectory that, I mean, I, I mean, I went on sabbatical. I went through, you know, hell. It was awful. And I, you know, I took time healing, counseling, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but I threw it all, and maybe it's because I have I had a little son, a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, uh, going through this. Like I, I, I never bottomed out. I never lost my faith mm-hmm. in that season, and 
I'm grateful for that. You know, and I think it was because I saw little eyes watching me and I wanted to be an example for them, you know, whatever. But watching you, you know, in the show was hard. It was hard for me. And like, I'm, I'm curious about the deconstruction, you know, obviously you've always been asking what is fire. And so there's always been a tinge of what's real, what's not that I'm picking up. Was it really the affair and the divorce that like kind of sent you on a spiritual spiral? Mm -hmm. Totally. That's why that scene in episode five with my parents was very hard for me to shoot. Anytime I cried on the show or got teary eyed, it was actually almost like cheating Yeah. because I was using language from that time in my life to kind of fool myself into being a better actor. And I would sometimes feed lines to the person playing my mother or playing my ex-wife or whoever it might be being like say this because i knew it would break my heart Mm. and i'm actually kind of feeling it now thinking about it but like what i said to my mother in that episode was very true of how i felt which was i looked at um god like if i do what you say kind of like a bully actually um if i do what you say um you will keep me in your plan right um now i i mean i i feel very much like everything that happens uh, is in a plan, in the plan, it's happening. Uh, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, here it is. Um, so at that time, though, my understanding was I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't swear, I didn't have sex. I felt terrible when I masturbated. I felt terrible when I looked at pornography or anything like that. Um, so I really was trying to be very outwardly holy right i was working on the inside too it was very earnest yeah i I think you can relate i I wasn't just doing it just to be a good boy part of it was to be a good boy but i really did love god in the way that i understood him and i enjoyed that reverence and there have even been times when i've gotten emotional thinking about that relationship i had with christ and how it was just kind of juvenile and sweet It Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a like a hostess cupcake, you know, there's something kind of nostalgic and familiar and sure. not very, not very nutritional, but it, it was nice and pleasant and it's what I knew. And, and it was my friend. And I wrote in the book, it was kind of like, uh, it was like an Amazon dot that was always there. Like you could always talk to him or my wife. And then they were both kind of taken from me. And then I missed them. I was very codependent with both of them. Was it, was it a, I, I've done all these things right. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah. And really. so were you angry at God? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I was ballsy enough to give that expression. Hmm. That's again, goes back to what Alan Watts says. I, I just love when people are, God wants us to be honest. I mean, if we're going to the God we were raised with, but not about everything. I mean, not about our doubts or our anger or our fear or our, whatever, or our disgust or our disappointment. Not, that's not always encouraged in the dialogue. So I, even when I was kind of losing my faith, what really happened was I didn't lose it. I listened to Letting Go of God. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. It's a one-woman show. Mm-hmm. And I read part of The God Delusion. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't finish it. It just wasn't for me. That's not to say that I don't understand that. But I was, I, I was actually on my Kindle, and I was so scared my mother was going to see that it was in my table of contents and i'm like oh nothing it would have been better if she found me it was like hardcore pornography than like the god delusion so all of my friends were atheists and what i did was i I was hanging out with them all the time so they're not talking about god i started dating non-christians they're not talking about god i just kind of put it to the side okay it's not that i thought there's no god i didn't have a conclusion but i certainly Without being able to articulate it, I went, what I knew clearly isn't the case. Because mm-hmm. it's not like a you pay the mafia, the mafia makes sure no one throws a brick through your window. Because I had a broken store window. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. oh, this is that's not how it works. So I knew without knowing it that it wasn't how I thought it was. But I didn't yet, and maybe still don't, know how it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that makes sense. So I started dabbling. That's how I like to put it. I dabbled in atheism. It never felt quite right, but I just, it was more that I took a, I'm I'm kind of bad with time, but I would say it was like a three-year period where I just didn't think too much about it. I I would say a lot 
of people, uh, maybe not circumstances that you went through, but whether they're hurt by the church or they saw hypocrisy in somebody that they trusted or their pastor had an affair or yeah. their dad turned out to be an alcoholic and he was their kind of God model or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where the bubble bursts and you go, well, everything you said up to that point doesn't add up anymore. Right. You know, and I, I, I think a lot of us walk away from church, but not, it's almost like mentally, it's like, well, that's for a season. I need to regroup here. And you just like you just said, just set it to the side. Yeah. And it's not like you're tangibly angry every day and you're not, maybe, you know, in time. Yeah. But it's just because, you know, you're in a new place and a new season and you see the world differently. The, the filter is different. There was a lot to do. There was a lot of, you know, I had never smoked pot. There was a lot of like pot to smoke. There were a lot of video games to play. There was a new apartment to get. There was a tour to go on. Yeah. There were girls to try to meet. This all sounds very exciting. And one of the things that I'm proud of in Crashing is we never, and, and we didn't, and we won't do a montage where Pete just goes out and like enjoys having sex with strangers. Because that wasn't my experience. It was one little baby step at a time. Yeah. But getting my own place and paying my own bills was kind of an adventure. It was sad and I was depressed. Yeah. And I actually had a psychosomatic pain in my that hurt all the time because I didn't deal with a lot. Of, I didn't know how to, I was a baby boy. I didn't know how to deal with it. So that led to a lot of drinking and it led to a lot of self-medicating in different ways. And I didn't know any better, but there was enough to do that I didn't have to think about God for a while. Did you ever like go through? <laughs> I had to find a roommate. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever um, counseling or anything like that at any point? I had a therapist when my wife, uh, my ex, I still call her my wife, my ex-wife, because what do you, in the story, she's my wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm putting myself back there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, when my ex-wife left me, I was seeing a therapist and that ended up being a real um, mitzvah is that I was already seeing someone just for general wellness. Then something happens that I really needed a therapist for. But the real, and not to put down my first therapist, but the real healing came later with my second therapist who I'm, I still see occasionally. That's just, I'm very busy. I'd love to see him once a week. But it, it, Dr. Gary Penn, who I always joke, his book is available now. I haven't read his book, but everything <laughs> he says is brilliant. So it's got to be a great book. Um, he, he really helped later. It took a lot of time. Um, it's been over a decade. And, and now the reason I kind of noticed your pain, or I thought I noticed, I mean, I'm probably projecting, was that for me, emotional um, evolution now is admitting that it still hurts. Yeah. You know, even saying my wife was my wife at that time. Yeah. Because I think for a lot so it's of it's been a decade. Yeah. She left in 2007. So it's been 10 years. Wow. So it's like you protect yourself by saying she was never, and she wasn't. This is true. She wasn't the one for me. But it would be wrong to say that when I went in, kind of like the way that I went into my faith, which ended up not being right for me either, both endeavors were very earnest and well-meaning, and I thought they were gonna last forever. So the two of them ending at the same time was, um, it felt a little cruel, but it was also kind of appropriate. And then you kind of went adrift for a few years spiritually. Yeah. When did the reconstruction-ish, wherever, I mean, not that you're at a, yeah. a certain place now, but when did that itch start again? That journey, that what is fire? Yeah. Well, that what is fire is always kind of there. I still liked having deep conversations sure. or whatever. Not like I do now. I just kind of yeah. remain somewhat interested in it. I was ready for it to come back in my life. Um, but then it that, that would unfold slowly. I remember I saw, and I'm kind of, everything that I'm about to say now, and a lot of what we've already said, um, is what I'm writing about in the book is kind of the point of the book. I'm, I, I'm really glad you didn't say is off the record. Because oh, that no, 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 really no. Bad. You can have it. <laughs> I, I'm really inspired by Rob Bell, for example, who put um, What is the Bible up as a blog free first. I know. And then it was one of his best-selling books. So yeah. I have no fear of like, these are my precious ideas. In fact, this Thursday at Largo, I'm doing a live workshop where I'm going to read huge portions of the book. So there's no like, awesome. don't steal my book. I just want you to make sure I don't sound rehearsed or like I'm reciting anything but one of the stories that i wrote i don't know if it'll make the book um i was dating a girl at the time who was um half jewish not religious and i wasn't religious and i loved her and uh 
I don't know why I included that. But then we went and saw the Book of Eli. This is so embarrassing. Have you seen the Book of Eli? Denzel Washington, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a story about a guy carrying the Bible, his faith, across a barren wasteland. And it's very important that he gets it to Mm -hmm. San Francisco to protect it. And obviously, the book is also about like walking by faith and all these things. And it's very cheesy. And it's not a great movie. It's like a it's like a thirty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I watched it and I own it on multiple formats, and I still watch it from time to time. And I was shook to my core by this really? Denzel Washington movie about, and I was like, oh no, the bandits got my Bible. Like <laughs> I felt really, wow. really uh, sad and afraid, not of hell, just kind of like, yeah. oh no. The tragedy of life yeah. took something yeah, from yeah, yeah. me. And I remember after the date, it was a date, I had this little office on 23rd and 7th that me and Mulaney and some other guys shared. And at night, for the most part, it was empty. And I just went up there and I just sat at my desk um, and just kind of like cried a little bit and just kind of sat there, really allowing, like we're talking about allowing ourselves to miss our ex-wives uh, or to miss the person we were when we were, well, there's a lot of things to miss. I missed God in that moment. And I was like, it's like waking up from a dream, remembering that that was so important to you. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't just being a good boy. It was the way my compass pointed. I was a spiritual person. The book of Eli. The book of Eli, bro. Wow. Isn't that nuts? (laughs) Let's watch it. It's not a bad movie. Um, I've seen it dozens of times. So I think 62% of critics would disagree. With you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that number's correct because I looked it up for the book. But um, so anyway, I saw that and that kind of started it. Years later, I w- I, I've tried to remember specifically because uh, it's a big part of the book. Um, the first thing that cracked the door open was um, was Joseph Campbell. And it went in that order. And I'll let you dictate where you'd like to go. Because it went Joseph Campbell, Rob Bell, Ramdas in that hmm. order. And throughout, there's Alan Watson, there's Richard Rohr, and there's a lot of other corroborating thinkers. But when I saw the PBS special, The Power of Myth, I bought it for everyone I know. Hmm. I'm, I'm a proselytizer. I, I hate when I talk to people, I'm like, did you see this movie or did you go to this place? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? It's amazing. Like I get mad about it. Pete's picks. Pete's picks. Exactly. <laughs> if you have something that's making your life better yeah. and increasing your love and your peace and the warm feelings you get, why don't I understand that some people don't like being, I like being taught. I like being helped. I need help and I need teaching. So when I get something, my Amazon address book is like 12 pages long because i send it to everybody constantly so i see the power of myth on pbs and i i wouldn't say i'm obsessed with joseph campbell because if i were i would i would know him a little bit better i'm not the guy that's gonna um really lay him out but uh what i know of him i absolutely adore and what i know of him i know very well Meaning, I haven't finished A Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's very dense. But I have seen A Power of Myth and read the book several times over. You know, like, I, I'm kind of like the pop enthusiast mm-hmm. of the guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know his B-sides, but the hits, I, I know how to play them on the guitar. Sure. And when he said, um, first of all, he explained what a metaphor is. Um, and he tells that story where he goes, he's being grilled by a radio DJ who's saying, you say God isn't real. And he says, no, I'm saying God is a metaphor, saying which isn't real. And he goes, well, give me a metaphor. And the DJ says, the man ran like a deer. He said, no, that's an analogy. The metaphor is the man was a deer. And just that. How did I, I went to a very good high school and I finished college, English major. Not a great college. Not a great college. Yeah. And testament to that, I didn't know what a metaphor was. But maybe Gordon College doesn't want you to know what a metaphor oh, is. <laughs> it's like, a good point. maybe we should steer away from this topic. <laughs> but when that happened, even as I say it, I'm reliving the feeling of plugging your cell phone in at night. Where mm. it just, doo-doo, and you're, you're back online. It's just such a refueling feeling. I go, oh, that's what a metaphor is. So when he, and then he says, God is a metaphor for a mystery that absolutely transcends all categories of human thought including being and non-being. To simplify that, you could say God is a metaphor for a mystery. Um, I like the second part because it just goes, which is unknowable, which is what 
Islam says, which is what uh, Judaism, Ju- Judaism said. God is one, you know, the, the G slash D. You can't even write it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. That's what they're talking about is, is it's this other place that you can't speak about. So once I redefine God as a metaphor for a mystery, uh, I realized that a man on a cloud wasn't really God. He was a metaphor. And, and that's a metaphor for God, and God itself is a metaphor, and it just takes us back to a mystery. But uh, the great quote that I love is, God is the name of the blanket we put over the mystery to give it shape. We're trying to talk about something undiscussable, and I love it. Ramdas says, the truth isn't in these discussions, it's in the spaces between the words that we get a transmission. Christians call this grace, where some, something is happening beyond our thinking minds. Mm -hmm. And I became fascinated with that. And Joseph Campbell, the wonderful academic, gave that to me in that Western way, in the tweed jacket with the elbow patches and the PBS special and Bill Moyers at the helm. I went, oh, there's a lot of intelligent people that get high on what is fire and what is God. So I send this to all my professors that I'm still friends with at Gordon College. Nobody, Nobody watches it. This is when you get, this is why you don't proselytize. You can't, you can't make someone quit smoking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the mammoth line in Glengarry Glen Ross. He's like, Jesus either lives in your, no, it's madman. Jesus either lives in your heart or he doesn't. That's what Don Draper says. He's like, I can't sell this to you. Either Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so good. But to me, it was everything. And since I sent it, it's still in its shrink wrap case to a dozen of my friends and peers. I've, done the podcast and that's how i've learned to proselytize where you come to me this is what i'm doing if you like it come to me but i can't impose it on others so i've tried to be better about that but you know i send it to my parents i don't think they watched it it doesn't matter it's okay i've still heard about it so it starts with joseph campbell so joseph campbell introduces me to the idea of a metaphor for a mystery and the other thing is myth myths which are stories that involve metaphors obviously uh makes it about you so it's not about worshiping christ's experience It's about trying to have Christ's experience, meaning dying to your your old self, resurrecting to your new self, letting go of your bond to family and culture and and really communing with God in in a new birth. But it's not something that we're just supposed to sing and clap about. It's supposed to, we're supposed to go and do likewise. You will do far greater things than these, is what Mm -hmm. Christ said. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very active. It becomes... What Rob taught me, the the spectrum, it's purple to red, meaning purple, Walter White has cancer, red, I'm going to make meth and pay for my bills and leave my family money. Mm -hmm. It goes from life is happening to me to I happen to my life. Faith is happening to me to I happen to my faith. It gives you agency Mm -hmm. and it invigorates you and it's exciting and it's now. When else could it be? It's very real and visceral and and it's engaging. So... This when I didn't lose something by going, the Jesus story isn't true in the way that journalism can be true, or you could take a photograph of this moment and prove that it happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something I write in the book where I'm like, I used to as a kid wonder, wish that there had been journalists and photographs and video of Jesus, and now I think, why and ruin it? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's not the point. You're missing the point. The mm-hmm. point is like Batman or whatever, these things become symbols of something far greater because, again, we're trying to talk about something that can't be talked about. So your literalism is missing the point. The, and Richard Rohr says, metaphor is the only language we have to speak of God. And this is a man who's a pretty, you know, I don't want to say rigid, but a pretty traditional Franciscan friar. You know what I mean? And he's saying it's a metaphor. And he also, another great Richard Rohr quote, he goes, metaphor is always true and sometimes really happened i love that it Mm. gets it it goes and then what what's the point Mm. is it literally true i'm completely open to it right in fact you know i said in an interview recently i was like you'd kind of be shocked at the things that my heart is open to believing Uh, a virgin birth or a physical death and resurrection is not that wild for me to toy with but then what what does that do with the guy who wants a penny on Christmas? And what does that do with you and I sitting here now? And then what is your goal? Mm. Ramdas says our goal in the West is to know and to know that we know. And the mystics say, lay that down, dude. <laughs> like You're missing the point. It's not knowing and knowing that you know. It's basking in something that's beyond your brain. 
Do you know, do you think, I mean, like so many, so honestly, so many of our readers grew up with a very Sunday school youth group kind of theology, and then they discover philosophy class or over a couple beers in college, they start having conversations and it just, they start pulling at the, at the yarn and, it, and, and they start like pulling at their theology and, and it starts unraveling a little bit. And then uh, many of them are just left with this pool of <laughs> thread, you know, yeah. this yarn that's just laying there and they can't reshape it. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of walk away disillusioned because the questions. They, they haven't had their book of Eli moment. <laughs> yeah, they haven't had a book. Or they watch it and it makes them sad and there's no follow. <laughs> well, I mean, is, do you think there's a place for, for, for both? I mean, where there's a, a belief that like, okay, I'm going to hold true. I believe this, but I also can have an openness to say, I know in part and I see in part and I, and I want to explore. Or is it the journey of exploration? Is it almost ultimately always that it unravels any sort of concrete faith? Or uh, It's interesting. I think, I think what you realize is the point isn't having something concrete. I, I think we want to put... like go- Rob talks about you're asking the wrong questions. That's right. Yeah. And I love when he says that. Yeah. And he I says think- it a lot. He does. And I, and I used to be frustrated, not frustrated, but maybe kind of like, why are you dodging my question? And now, like when I asked him, I said, is the Bible true or is it a metaphor? And he goes, yes. And you go, well, fuck you, man. <laughs> um, but it's like, that's the correct answer. If we're going to read a Semitic book, we need to look at it through Semitic eyes. And that's a perfectly Semitic answer. We, we've, we've turned god into something that you amazon prime and one of the things that i think is interesting there was an indian saint that said one of the things that's so interesting about lsd or or mushrooms is that in the west they say god comes to you how um maharaji said i think you might be sitting on you are that's okay sorry (laughs) oh snap (laughs) that's bad i'm just kidding (laughs) that's that's not it's not how it works you're good okay so that man said um God comes to the hungry in the form of food, right? So in the West, God comes to the, to the people in need as the form a material. We're a materialist substance, so he came as a material, mm-hmm. as a drug that you take, and it takes you outside of your brain. That's grace. That's amazing. I don't want to be too pro-drug or whatever, but I am. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I am partially. I was, uh, I was here uh, a couple months ago with, you know, the artist Father John Misty? Mm-hmm. And, and so I was at his house where he, we did a story with him. And he grew up in the church, just like you, just like me. Uh, went to a Christian college. Ended up walking away mm-hmm. and have you two have so much in common. Really? And he I is... I've wanted to have him on. He, uh, you, if you have a contact, that'd I, be great. Oh, oh give you his number the uh oh i happen to be wearing a photo yeah, you shirt. Are. that's hilarious okay that was totally coincidental that's fine but he uh same thing as you he he would say he spent he spent we spent about four hours talking we won't do that tonight um uh, he would say he's a christian still but drugs and other you know well, have you ever taken as, a drug and remembered christ i don't think there's a better feeling because you're there with it that's Whenever I take, and I've done mushrooms maybe under 10 times, I would say. But every time I have, I remember Christ and I I cry because I go, I think this is how he was. I think when your heart is that open, and, you know, or MDMA or whatever it might be, when your heart is that open and you're that still, you go, this is why this guy was going around saying the kingdom of heaven, you won't say, look here, look there, it's right here. Yeah. And your your cobwebs are in the way. Your muck is in the way. And that's what sin is. Sin isn't me off and you're not supposed to. Sin is me off because that's isolating and it's depraving and it's exploiting. Yeah. It's not because I'm getting demerits for right. later. Right. It's because I'm murking up my water because I don't see the guy I don't see the soul asking for a penny on Christmas. I see a homeless man who's a bum. And I am a, I'm an American male from Boston who's a Christian and I'm straight. So we, we've forgotten the unity. We've forgotten that Christ, speaking as Christ, is the vine and where the branches is all one thing. Right. And these awakened people were in a state, I believe, 
that you can sometimes achieve in the way that I know it sounds like Father John Missy has, and I certainly have. But I also know without a fact that, that without a doubt, that Rob is in that space all the time. Not all the, I'm not, I'm not here to say Rob is yeah. my guru. I'm saying I get that feeling from Rob. And I've been with Rob when he's tired and when his children are, you know, hungry. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about visiting Rob for an hour on Sunday. I'm talking about traveling with Rob right. and, and, and being, we call it being dipped in. It's a line from my book. I say, I'm not enlightened. I dip in and out just like you. And we both dip in sometimes yeah. and you dip in sometimes and we all, and sometimes substances are involved. But I mean, if I, I have no problem thinking of myself in Christian terms. And one of the reasons is when I take drugs or do these things that the church told me not to and remember the, you know, the, the head, what is it? The spearhead of the whole endeavor. It feels this guy yeah. said, um, those substances put you in the room with Christ. But the problem is, is you can't stay. Josh, uh, <laughs> Josh Tillman, Father John Misty, he, uh, he, he talks about his journey, like growing up in the church and he was a youth leader and all that stuff. He never had an encounter with Christ. He never had a uh, spiritual connection in the way that all of his peers and adults in his life, you know, said they did. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, was given the pulpit and he was a youth leader and all these things and he was faking it. Right. And so he then, you know, in time assumed that everybody was faking it. Mm -hmm. And basically he's been on a lifelong quest, uh, through, you know, drugs or other, you know, other searching and, um, intellectual quest, uh, to encounter Christ. Mm -hmm. That's really what he's still looking for. Um, it's beautiful. And my friend Lama Suryadas, he's a, he's a Lama, um, he calls himself a spiritual race. Like I'll do anything. And when it comes to spiritual truth, I feel similarly, hmm. meaning if it's another tradition or if it's a substance or if it's meditation or if it's fasting or if it's sitting, sitting in a sauna, sauna, whatever it is, truth and mystery is so immense. If it's science, if it's physics, if it's string theory, take it where you can get it. Yeah. And and you're not going to hold on to it. You're going to you're going to forget it. That's why it's dipping in and out. But where do we get off being like I only get it from this store? It's like if there's food at this other store, get some of that food. It's yeah. it's not a sports team. It's not there's that Bud Light sign that says beer with your team on it. You can buy Bud Light that has like the Patriots on it. And I was like that's us. That's America. And th this is not you know the point of mysticism <laughs> it's it's not it what would uh what would 38 year old pete holmes tell high school gordon college pete holmes hmm. that's a good question i i think i would i, I wouldn't interfere <laughs> really <laughs> no i wouldn't interfere because it's beautiful the, all the suffering that i did we go back to the idea of trying to find a worldview and a theology and an overall understanding that includes suffering yeah I wouldn't want to take away that type of grace, which is what it was. That's easy for me to say. There are far better champions of suffering than me, but that specific type of suffering led to the awakening. This is a, a Joseph Campbell thing. The, the treasure you want is in the cave you're afraid to go. Yeah. And I wasn't going to jump into the deep end, and that's what crashing is about. Yeah. So the inciting incident of crashing is the wife leaving. Mo Valerie loves Moana, I love Moana too. And Moana is in a storm on her little boat and she asks uh, God for help. And then her boat crashes on an island and she goes, I asked for help, right? But the reason why Moana and movies like it resonate is because it's the hero's journey. It's like one for one. They're not even changing it a little bit. It's one for one, the hero's journey. And what happens is what we didn't ask for ends up being what we needed. And one of the things that I toy with is I'm trying to keep my suffering level appropriate. When I'm suffering, and I was suffering last night, I was having a lot of anxiety, I try to remember, this is grace. I know it doesn't feel good, but you want to have a little bit. This is why people like Joel Osteen and, and sometimes even like a Tony Robbins or whatever, something's missing. And what is it? It's a theology about suffering that appreciates it and includes it instead of doing what every single-celled organism up until us, up until gorillas it doesn't matter, is doing, which is trying to gain pleasure and avoid pain. And that's
boring. Hmm. And that's why we love poets and musicians and artists, because these are the people that are wrestling with it and reporting back, not just sugarcoating it and saying, and I wouldn't be a famous comedian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the inner transformation. Yes, there's an external fun thing. I happen to be living a very specific American dream of being a comedian. I think that to myself all the time. I go, I get to be a comedian. This is insane. But the real treasure is inside. Jesus says, don't lay up your treasure where dust and moth can corrupt. That's what he's talking about. That breaking point of my wife turning my world upside down and then losing my faith was the best thing that could happen to me. And and I I wouldn't go back and stop that. So I, I guess I, it's it's kind of a answer or a, a not very satisfying answer, but I wouldn't tell him anything in a way that would change him. But if we could talk in some sort of vacuum <laughs> sure. that wouldn't change the the world, is I, I, I would tell him what I'm writing in the book because I want to relieve the suffering of these earnest people who believe spiritual things and have that craving for living spirit but don't necessarily find a way for them to do that. I would say Joseph Campbell, if they grew up the way that we did, Joseph Campbell got as a metaphor and metaphor doesn't mean not true. It means truer than true. It means beyond, it means transrational beyond our ration, which, you know, some people they're out right here. We only want to be able to build bridges and I get it. Go build a bridge. I need a bridge. I need a bridge. Please cure polio. That's great. I don't want you to change, but if you're like me and you still ache, Let's go beyond the brain, okay? <laughs> and if you're still with me, then we go to Rob. And we've actually already covered this. Rob talking about the eternal moment, not some afterlife reward or punishment system. Right. Not the nightclub God that either lets you in or doesn't. Um, and the idea that sin isn't about uh, racking up demerits or racking up points. It's about a clean connection. I think about um, God as like a sunset and a river between us. And sin, they're not bad or good. Are, are rocks or sticks in a stream bad or good? They just are. And I want to have as clean of a stream as possible because I know when I've tapped into that sunset and into that unifying awareness, I feel ecstasy, I feel bliss, I feel compassion, I feel hope, I feel love. Mm. And that's what I want and that's what I'm after. Not something later, not a product, not uh, the premier American Airlines lounge with free cocktails and terrible fruit. I'm talking about something that you can feel right now. So sin being these things that are in the way and we can remove them. Yeah. It, it always is bad fruit. Terrible fruit. Why? The, the ticket is like six grand. Can you get me a peach? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Hey, okay. So we'll, we'll wrap with this. Well, the um, third part is, is wrong. Okay. That's it. Um, Which we've also been covering. Crashing second season. What's in store for Pete? Well, it's interesting because uh, I don't want. I, I don't think I can give too much away, but I will say that it continues. Is is the downward going? Because he was baptized at the end of one season, one right? Oh, that's interesting. Well, not really. I do get in the water. No, I don't get in the water. You know, see, I didn't even remember. So you're right in thinking it because I am in a baptismal, right. but I'm not dunked. Jess baptizes herself. Right. That's my ex-wife on the show. Right. And I angrily dunk leaf in the pool right but you're right that's right i like that you thought that i was baptized here's why is because i thought i just remember the scene to be honest with you no well subconsciously maybe i don't know i liked that the show ends with the three main characters um running urgently to get into a cross-shaped pool yeah (laughs) yeah and i'm not saying they're christians and i'm not saying they need to convert to a certain branch uh, I'm saying everyone wants to be in the same water together hmm. and everybody wants to be, again, this is a Richard Rohr thing. There's one thing I can recommend. There's actually two Richard Rohr things that blew my mind. One is his, it's on iTunes. His, uh, it's like seven parts on the Sermon on the Mount, change your life. That's where I got myth is always true and sometimes really happen. And metaphor is the only language. Those are both quotes from that. And then the other one is, um, it's on YouTube. It's only about 15 minutes and it's Richard Rohr, Cosmic Christ. And it's where you start learning the difference between Jesus and Christ. And he talks about how at the beginning of the Big Bang, that was the emergence of the Christ. Right, right. So you and I are basking in the Christ, right? You guys, you uh, when Rob was on your podcast this year, you guys talked about that. Changed my life. Yeah. Because that's why when I say I am the vine and you are the branches, 
Jesus doesn't mean, in my opinion, Jesus isn't speaking as Jesus of Nazareth. He's speaking as the Christ. Right. Just like when Buddha says, who are you? And he goes, I am awake. He doesn't mean I, Siddhartha, am awake. He means I am awakeness. It's like when God in the Old Testament, Moses says, what's your name? And he says, I am, I am, I am, I am. He just says, that I am. he says, I, call I, me I am yeah, or yeah, something. Am. Right. Yeah. And I thought that was God ducking the question. Like, oh, my name is a uh, name. He means I am being. I am the quality of being. That that bees is me. I am being. Um, so he wasn't being cheeky. And so there's a thing that we can tap into, that we can dip into. You call it enlightenment. You call it Christ consciousness, all these different things. Uh, I don't know how we got there. What everybody wants to be in the same pool. Oh, yeah. Everybody gets in the pool. So season two, um, this is the sort of interview that if Judd were here, he'd be kicking me under the table. <laughs> He's always, he, he loves talking about this stuff, but he's like, when you do press, please just talk about how funny the show is. So you'll be doing me a favor. You say, I guarantee, I can't guarantee anything. In my opinion, the second season is way funnier. Really? Yeah. Because you're not dealing with a downward spiral. You don't have to establish <coughs> yeah. who everyone is. Yeah. When you see Leaf, you know it's Leaf. Yeah. When you see Jess, you know it's Jess. When you see me, you know it's me. And you can kind of hit the ground running. So the first episode for those spiritually interested or, or or that find some value in tracking Pete's spiritual story because they're really a bunch. There's Pete's comedy story. There's sure. Pete's spiritual story. There's Pete's relational story. Right, right. His emotional story, um, and then there are the other character stories too. But it starts right off going like, well, what's the next level we can take this to? And it's based a little bit on what we've been talking about. So you can kind of. Um, well, Deadline for, reported today that in episode one, you have a long uh, conversation with an atheist. Oh, and it said to really? You, yeah. Well, the first episode called The Atheist. Yeah. And um, does it say who it is? No. I don't know if I can say who it is. That's fine. But I will say that if you watch the trailer, you'll be able to tell <laughs> 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 And the trailer will be out Sunday, I think. But um, so Pete has a conversation with an atheist. And then... I like the title, The Atheist, because you don't know if it's him that's the atheist or sure, Pete's right. the atheist. Yeah. It's a good, interesting title. And then throughout, you see you see that, what we've been talking about, that elastic mm-hmm. thing where it's not just, I don't believe now. It's kind of like, I want to believe. I don't know how to believe. And I spent a lot of time... It probably means no more jars of clay in the car, though. <laughs> that bums well, you never know. Never. I, I can say with certainty, there's no jars of clay. There's some third day, though. <laughs> Are you serious? No. Oh, man. That would I was be incredible. Like, okay, that'd be, yeah, that'd be next level. Well, well you know, DC Talk, they had a rock era. You know. I know. DC Talk was so much more legit than I thought. I thought they were, like, produced, but they were, like, friends in high school that, like, put together a band. Yeah. Then they got heavily produced. No, no, no. Liberty University. That's what they meant. Is that where it was? Yeah. They're, like, three good-looking guy like talented guy i thought for sure it was like a backstreet boy situation uh-huh. they were like Friends a garage band yeah it's crazy jesus freak sounds so much like teen spirit oh like, who oh, come on. when it came out though i don't think i knew i was just like oh, of course not awesome. because that's what we knew to be grunge rock was right. was a dc talk oh you know? my god that's so true so anyway we'll see some of that pete falling away and then you'll even see some of that that yearning I don't go and see Book of Eli, but there are things that happen where I'm kind of like... You really should have made it about Book of Eli. It's not too late. I mean, we're kind of going in slow motion. It's one of the... Th- not slow motion, but closer to reality than I uh, have seen in stories about breakups. Um, sometimes I have to fight for more scenes of Pete, like eating alone or masturbating, because that's what it's... I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, but there was a lot of like shutting in. And you just don't see that on TV. I literally changed all the light bulbs in my house to be um, hue lights because I can, they geofence. And so when I come home, the house turns on uh-huh. and when I open the door, lights are on already and I don't open the door to a big empty dark house. Wow. I mean, just like feel like home. It's home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. You just have to, you have to like, you're yeah, re- cause you're right. You're we're, like all of a sudden, like it's just gone. It's a lot. Yeah. But we, we explore that and, and Pete, Definitely continue. Leaf represents me now. Uh, and that was true in the first season. Not entirely. Oh, that's interesting. But he's Leaf, enlightened. So when you say kind of, kind of yeah. you know, trying and yeah. Leaf 
the what Leaf says to Pete in the first season, where he says, um, "It's all grist for the mill." Yeah, I think that all the time. Huh. There's this great. It's a great Ramdas quote. He talks about it's what we were talking about earlier. He's like, "We want to push away pain and gain pleasure," and he goes, "What he holds in his brain is, it's all grist for the mill for going home." And what he says is, "I I, I don't have any tattoos, and I don't think I'm ever going to get one." But he says, I will eat it all, which I think is amazing. So if you're ever at a terrible dinner with your family or on a delayed flight or whatever it might be. The fruit in the United States. The lounge. fruit in the lounge. I will eat it all. Like there's just something about not resisting what is and going with it and looking for God in that. That God isn't just in the ecstasy and the clouds parting, but God's in the rain and God's in your wife leaving. And and that, to me, is is an enlightenment worth enlightening for. <laughs> yeah. And somehow you make it funny. Oh, I you appreciate that. Funny. I think season two is, in my opinion, way funnier. There's some really great guests. You'll see them. When does this come out? I mean, we'll figure it out. I mean, okay. the print would be... When it, well, when season two is starting? I think Sunday night is when this trailer comes out. So in the trailer... But isn't it like January show? January 14th. Yeah, so we have a January issue. So oh, okay. the story would be in January issue. We would time so the podcast to come out. You can too. see in the in the trailer that it's got Bill Burr, Artie Lang is back, um, Penn Gillette, the Lucas Brothers, like John Mulaney, Whitney Cummings. Wow. Melissa Villasenor. So we've got some wonderful guests because you get the premise of the show. We don't have to set that up. We're off to the races and Pete's learning what I was learning at that time in a more funny way. It just, you know, second seasons, man, like second season of girls, second seasons of shows are typically where they kind of find themselves. And I'm really hoping that's how I perceive it. I hope that's how people perceive it. Do you, do you approach, did you approach season one? Like, well, if it doesn't get picked up, I told the story. You mean like, oh, that's that's enough? That's yeah. kind of... I guess it is kind of... Or did you have like a three-part act? Did you have... Oh, we had a lot. Like before season one, like it's what we're doing now. Like we're writing season three starting Monday and the show hasn't been picked up yet and it may not be picked up. But um, with season one, that's even more of the case. Like you're even less certain. Right but you start working on it. So we were already writing and planning season two. Well, like episodes one, two, three, and four were aired, and right between four and five is when we got picked up. And that's what I anticipate would happen again is would find out between four and five. But I, I have my ideas of where I see the show going. And then Jed has his, you know, his wonderful guidance. And, and in that meeting point is where the show is. So I can't really say with it, complete authority what happens um but i have an idea like i don't i don't know if he's going to discover joseph campbell i don't know if that's that interesting yeah uh the book might be the best expression sure, of that of course. and then you can just have a little you can have leaf like there was a scene in season one where leaf one of my favorite koans is um buddhist koan is uh what in this moment is lacking have you ever heard me say that Mm-mm. I just think it to myself all the time. You go, what in this moment is lacking? And a lot of people, you know, when I when I say that to them, they go, like, you might be thinking, well, I have to I have to go so or I need to eat dinner or whatever it might be. But the people that answer in that way miss the point because the moment that I was asking about it is over. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it was perfect. Everything was there. Mm-hmm. It's like when Jesus said, "Don't worry about the birds of the air and like what they're going to eat or where they're going to sleep." They're being present, like be like the birds. Um, but we were always thinking of the future. So what in this moment is like very beautiful. So I wrote a scene where Leaf is trying to explain that to Pete. And so I get to play the guy who doesn't understand it, which was fun. Um, normally I'm the guy trying to explain it, but he was trying to explain it. And it was a really nice scene and I liked it a lot, but it ended up getting cut because Judd is very good at figuring out how much of this stuff that I love talking about is not just appropriate, but is right for the show. And the answer is you can't just have and, and too you, much. You couldn't have had a better partner than him. Yeah. I mean, his movies 
are uproariously funny and completely raunchy and then there's like heart yeah and 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 the redemptive message almost yeah. always well he's into all this stuff judd loves ram das and Thich han and he's him and gary shandling used to like skype with ram das and stuff so what one yeah one i think you can do that too if you set up an appointment <laughs> but um you know he one of the reasons he liked me and wanted to make the show was he I think this is how he phrased it, was he saw a yearning for meaning and redemption and some sort of, I don't know if you can call it a conclusion, but something, he saw a quest, he saw a guy on a quest. And that was one of the reasons why he wanted to make Crashing. And I'm obviously super glad that he did. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the conversation. Yeah, I'm man. excited about season two. I am too. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. That was comedian Pete Holmes. Make sure to check out his semi-autobiographical HBO series, Crashing. Uh, Just remember, it's an HBO show for a reason, so don't get mad at me. Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, uh, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have an awesome lineup of guests coming this season. You won't want to miss an episode. And if you think of it, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Rating and reviewing it on iTunes helps us a ton. Make sure to tune in next week when my guest will be my friend, Carl Lentz. He's the pastor of Hillsong, New York, pastor to a lot of celebrities, and the subject of a lot of criticism. And guess what? We talk about all of it. I'm Cameron Strang. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Relevant Podcast Network.